It's time for faith and life to connect. I first go before God, working on who and what I am before Him and what He's calling me to be as a husband. Where a Christian walk meets our day-to-day life. Dealing with that baggage can mean anything from delaying the marriage to dealing with the baggage. For sure. And where it's okay to laugh a little. Meaningless days, I look at. <laughs> I'm looking at meaningless days and live happily with the woman you love, and I'm trying to figure out how they wind up in the same set. <laughs> We're not saying that the marriage is meaningless. Heaven forbid we say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. This is The Session with Tom Russell from Heritage Christian Counseling Ministries. What triggers your potential spouse? And that you guys both agree, yeah, they are triggers, and it is, as we grow, something we have to work through. But we're going to give you sort of the grace and space to do that. Good morning. It is time for Faith and Life to connect here on The Session on Rise FM and on the podcast network at risefmohio.com. I'm Scott here with Tom from Heritage Christian Counseling Ministries. And today is it's going to be a rather unique show, I think, Tom. Definitely. For us, yeah, unique. We, I know, right? <laughs> We're going to be talking about the importance of putting prayer back in school. We're going to do this two ways. I, I think the way this is going to work out, because of the nature of a non-commercial radio ministry that Rise FM is, we are not allowed to express political opinions uh-huh. as such. I can tell you that Tom and I have some very definite opinions on this matter for sure <laughs> so rather than endanger our station license and mark uh, is very happy that i'm doing this <laughs> we're going to share with you the facts of what we're going to share here on the session right we're also going to have a bonus session of the session that's, that's yeah that's right yeah and that's going to be on the podcast network as well at risefmohio.com so you can see what we really think that's right we've been praying <laughs> about this the last guy <laughs> and yeah so that's how that's going to roll today and we'll remind you about that and i'll uh you know at the end of our time together but before we dive into the importance of prayer in schools tom we dive into god's word that's true you think you can handle this verse <laughs> yeah i memorized this i've really been working on my ability to memorize scott yeah paul said it in in first thessalonians five seventeen, pray continually there, I did it. I memorized it. Celebrates it. See, and I memorized the, the English Standard Version, Pray Without Ceasing. Yes, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yours was three words. That's pray right. Yeah, the math checks out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now let's, talk, let's break that down for a minute, though, Tom. Yeah. All right, Pray Without Ceasing. So does that mean we're always walking around, heads bowed, eyes closed, hands clasped in front of us in this constant state of, you know, um, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, it's a little bit dangerous when you're driving doing that. I, that's <laughs> what I was going to ask. <laughs> but no, more so, it's like a state of mind. It's a, a filter in which we filter life through. We process based on praying and, and spending time reacting, coping with life, managing life through prayer and just calling upon the Lord. He's, he's there. He's part of us. He's in our spirit. He's part of us. So to be praying is really a good thing. So it's, Especially if you're driving. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, a couple of folks on the way here. Yeah. <laughs> Lord, right. I want to pray for that, that, that person yeah. uh, that doesn't seem to know the difference between their steering wheel and their cell phone. Uh, he says, <laughs> Yes, I, I was asking the Lord for patience with a couple of them. <laughs> yep. So, all right. Yeah. So, 
we're going to talk about the importance of prayer in schools specifically today. And there have been a number of court cases that have come up in the news. I want to highlight those, but I want to take us back in time and actually find out what the founding fathers said about prayer. Right. And I think if we take an honest look at this and we see how our nation was built, we might take a different attitude about prayer, not only in schools, but in the government. I think that in itself, we're talking about a little picture that's really a huge picture when we think about our country. One thing I would like to get from you from time to time today, Tom, is you know we're going to be talking about things factually, but... I want to make sure we bring in the psychological impact of prayer right. on our kids. You know, it has been said that um, they they may have banned prayer in public schools, but there is prayer in school every time a test is handed out. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I can remember praying over uh, some tests when I was uh, in school. Yeah. And, you know, if I'd have studied, it probably helped those prayers get answered a lot better. <laughs> but. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that was part of that. Oh, boy. So this really all came to to a head in 1962 in a uh, case of Engel versus Vital, where the Supreme Court held that the Establishment Clause of the Constitution prohibits the recitation of a school-sponsored prayer. The Freedom Forum Institute said this, though. Students are free to pray alone or in groups as long as such prayers are not disruptive and do not infringe upon the rights of others. But this right to engage in voluntary prayer does not include the right to have a captive audience listen or to compel other students to participate. And I think the compel may be the big word there. Yeah. Uh huh. And I guess that's why no prayer in graduation speeches. Yeah. No Bible mention in graduation speeches no mention of jesus in christmas plays mm-hmm. at schools and that kind of thing i i guess yeah and it seems like the other comment they make is what the supreme court has repeatedly struck down are state sponsored or state organized prayers in public schools and that that was kind of the thing i always heard was as long as it's student led right student organized it was okay right and the problem is with a school group, you have to have a faculty advisor. Yeah. So that to me was always kind of a gray area. I guess as long as the advisor wasn't leading it, would that be a proper use of that? Yeah. You know, and that's probably that gray area where people would attack it as well. Right. Mean, that it were opponents of it. Now, yeah. the Supreme Court also has made clear that prayers organized or sponsored by a public school, even when delivered by a student, violate the First Amendment, whether in a classroom, over the public address system, at a graduation exercise, or even at a high school football game. So now let's move, Tom, to uh, something here from Heritage Foundation, uh, an article by Sarah Parshall Perry. And this is one of those court cases that's a more recent event here in our schools where Coach Joe Kennedy was fired for a tradition he started back in 2008, where at the end of his football games, he was the coach of a football team, he went out to midfield, knelt, and silently prayed by himself. He didn't bring students with him. He didn't get a microphone. He just went out to midfield and knelt and prayed. Yeah. And it escalated and escalated until he was fired. It wound up to the Supreme Court, and the court has now handed Coach Kennedy a victory in saying that his 
First Amendment right was violated by the Bremerton School District in the state of Washington by firing Kennedy for his personal quiet postgame prayers. Now, the significance here for the Heritage Foundation is it's not just because it reinforces First Amendment protections guaranteed to government employees, but because it strengthens our nation's increasingly shaky commitment to what they call pluralism, having diverse religious views or no religious view at all, and coexisting in our school systems. So here's another uh, something that's coming up in schools. and I Around the area here, I can't say that I know any of these are in place here. We turn the page to take a look at chief diversity officers or CDOs. They typically are on college campuses, but we're seeing them more and more in the K-12 schools. But it seems like the bigger the school district, the bigger the city, the more prevalent the chief diversity officer is. But they are expanding into the more rural districts now. They're hired to help close student achievement gaps, but really... What they seem to be advocating for really is more a separation of whites from everybody else. And that's, that's again, another observation from the Heritage Foundation. I think COVID may change a lot of this. How so? Because with COVID came parents looking over their kids' shoulders while they were opening their laptops to do their, home, their study at home. When the schools were closed and parents started seeing what was taught, being taught to their kids, and we've seen that in, in Virginia in particular. I think it's Loudoun County where things absolutely erupted with mm. the school board and parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and it propelled, many think, uh, the governor was elected in Virginia. It was because of that blow up of prayer in school or the, what was being taught in the curriculum. Right. And I think as more and more parents are exposed to what their kids are being taught, they may stand up against this and say, nope. Right. Not my kid. Well, a good example of that locally in a neighboring county, the whole library board was going to have seven-year-olds studying alternative lifestyle intimacy. Nice nice phrasing. Yeah. (laughs) And parents were in an uproar about it, and they held their ground. As Christians, how do we... What is the way we should handle that when when we find and we will find them? I mean, right. we will find those cases. It's not that we need to go looking for it. It's right here in front of us every day. As Christians, what's really the appropriate way for us to handle this and stay true to God's Word? I think, for one, when we talk about we are under, uh, as Christians, persecution, you, you hear about these stories in third world countries where the missionaries were were killed and they were under constant threat. Well, you know what? That's that's the thing we want to encourage our Christian body to rise up and let's defend God's word. Well, you know that's easy on this side of the microphone to say, you know what? And I and I have my cushy life and you have your cushy life, but to be out there and taking a stand for these issues like that library board was trying to push. Yeah. We've got to stay strong there and support God's word. And he never promised us it would be a walk in the park. Never promised us a rose garden, to quote a song from the 60s. <laughs> You're right, yeah. <laughs> Today on the session, you can tell we're, we're talking about prayer in school and prayer in society in general. I want to turn it now and focus on our founding fathers. And, and let's look back at what they had to say about God and love and prayer and 
see if we can draw some conclusions from what they said about what we can do today or what we should be doing today. So let's start with George Washington on God and love. I now make it my earnest prayer, Washington wrote, that God would have you and the state over which you preside in his holy protection, that he would incline the hearts of the citizens to cultivate a spirit of subordination and obedience to the government, to entertain a brotherly affection and love for one another for their fellow citizens of the United States at large. That was Washington sharing with the governors of the new United States. So Washington is, is speaking about, yeah, the governors of the United States. He encourages people through God to show love and obedience and to entertain a brotherly affection. When, when I was thinking about that, Scott, how loving, how obedient, and how much brotherhood affection was taking place when all this was being sorted out about the vaccination, getting vaccinated, how much of that was going on when we were talking about the the election all right, so let's take in Thomas Jefferson here. Now, yeah, I thought this was interesting because I never quite figured Jefferson out. Okay. I never quite got it. But he said this, I hold the precepts of Jesus as delivered by himself to be the most pure, benevolent, and sublime which have ever been preached to man. He's talking about delivered by Jesus. And, and don't you think that God had a plan that the United States would be here so that we could glorify him uh, and praise him. And what must he think and feel now as human rights has replaced him? So here's John Adams, a prayer for presidents. I pray heaven to bestow the best of blessings on this house and all that shall hereafter inhabit it. And he's talking about uh, the white, what we now know as the white house. Yeah. Then called the president's house. And, John Adams was the first to live there, and this was his prayer. He, and then he said, May none but the wise men ever rule under its roof. They prayed over the White House before they occupied it. Wow. You know, I mean, think about that. They prayed over the White House before they went in and, and started living there. When's the last time that that may have happened? Right. What a great quest, uh, question you asked. Now, I'm kind of guessing maybe Billy Graham did it a time or two because he was kind of known as a chaplain to presidents over the years. But I'm just wondering when the last time was that a president prayed over the White House. All right, so we're talking about prayer today on the session, and uh, we're, we're digging into our Founding Fathers now. There's an article called Founding Fathers on Prayer at wallbuilders.com where David Barton was asked, why is it important that we pray for our country and its peoples? First, because God tells us to. Yeah. Because I said so. There we go. Works as a parent. That's right. And God is our father. Why not? Why not? Right. And it is important that we obey him. Second, because God answers prayer. Well, okay. We certainly need that. (laughs) Third, God honors prayer and turns his attention to those who pray. He takes note of people who pray and his ear remains open to them. The very thought of there's a few still righteous here, this scripture that talks about would he save it if there was only so many? Right. Thank heavens. Praise the Lord that there's still a remnant. Yeah, this year. Well, fourth, prayer not only gives God a vehicle by which he can respond and answer prayers, but prayer also changes those who pray. For praying helps us to be God-conscious 
and when we are God-conscious as individuals, our behavior is different than if we rarely think about God. I think that's the most frustrating part of the whole National Day of Prayer that we have. There's prayer at times that is on a political platform that it's really nothing more than a ritual because there's no application. So as we continue talking about prayer here as it relates to our founding fathers, I found this little snippet here. About five weeks into the Constitutional Convention of 1787, when they were attempting to draft the U.S. Constitution, their efforts were a signal failure. As things were beginning to break up and delegates returned home to their states, Benjamin Franklin challenged them and called them to prayer. Heaven forbid. He said, this is what Franklin, Ben Franklin said this. In this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us. Boy, does that sound familiar. Yeah. How has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of Lights to illuminate our understanding? In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of the danger, we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. Daily prayer with the Continental Congress. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. Oh, my gosh. And this prayer, go, he this goes on. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Franklin openly acknowledges prayer worked. America became an independent nation because prayer worked. And so also there is a contrast between using God's strength, relying on his strength. When when they were threatened by Great Britain and they were praying for protection, they were praying for God's help. So he helps them, and then it's a contrast with well, let's do it under our own power, and look how it happened. They were fighting with each other, and they were ready to give up five weeks into trying to figure it out when he goes ahead and again says, I challenge you, why don't we pray about this? Isn't that where we got here in the first place by? And I can imagine the enemy just loves it when we decide to do it on our own. Yeah. Just see him kind of rubbing his hands together and grinning and going, got him. Yeah. Let's go. After Franklin's comments here, some other delegates chimed in. Alexander Hamilton's a name that we should remember. I mean, the musical about him has made it on Broadway and is, in fact, is showing now in Columbus. Oh. Hamilton. Yeah. Alexander Hamilton is reported to have declared after Franklin's speech, for my own part, I sincerely esteem it a system which, without the finger of God, never could have been suggested and agreed upon by such a diversity of interests. <laughs> That's a politically That's correct That's a fancy way, way of saying <laughs> he's right. Yes, it sure is. <laughs> yes. Let's yeah. see him put that in the musical. So he took all that arguing and, and <laughs> fighting and called it a diversity of interests. <laughs> That's right. And then James Madison is reported to have said, it is impossible for the man of pious reflection not to perceive it In it, a finger of that almighty hand which has been so frequently and signally extended to our relief in the critical stages of the revolution. (sighs) 
Wow. Boy, aren't you glad we're not speaking in Revolutionary War English anymore? <laughs> oh, for, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm still struggling with today's English. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Benjamin Rush, a signer of the Declaration, who closely monitored the proceedings, agreed and said this, I do not believe that the Constitution was the offspring of inspiration, but I am as perfectly satisfied that the union of the states in its form and adoption is as much the work of a divine providence as any of the miracles recorded in the Old and New Testament were the effects of a divine power. He put the Constitution and the right. founding of this country up on a level with turning water into wine and uh-huh. healing the blind. Wow. Hoy. Incredible stuff, Tom. It, it is, Scott. And so when we think about how does prayer impact a person, when we stop to think about that, what's really amazing is that prayer will, for one, if you looked at, at some research, those who pray, and, and research doesn't really distinguish in my mind much between prayer and worship or uh, church going, those who are doing all three of those are more likely to have better mental health, which means less depression, less anxiety. They tend to have better relationships. They also would have a longer lifespan because they pray. So it has an impact in us. Makes me wonder about my great-grandmother Brenner. Okay, because? Grandma Brenner lived to 101, and she was Amish at the beginning, Northern, <laughs> Northern Indiana Amish, if I remember right, and then converted to, I believe she was part of the Assemblies of God. Okay. Which I found an interesting what? switch to go <laughs> yeah. from that to that. One extreme to the other. Yeah, it seemed like it. But I I have Grammar Brenner's Bible. Uh, Mom decided to give it to me. And I just wonder, you know, did she get those 101 years in part because of a strong faith? Really? That goes back and covers her entire life. And I can't, you know, just something I, I wonder about. Well, I, and there's, a, there's reason to think that, along with God's will being that she lived that that long but yeah because he also gave us a free will and in our free will we can make decisions that are going to not give us a full lifespan right you know those who have started smoking early in their their lives are facing some serious issues that will threaten their lifespan uh alcohol being another um this poor lifestyle not taking care of yourself, not exercising. You know, all of those play a factor in it. But ultimately, it, you know, what's God's will? And he knows the end from the beginning. And he knew them before we were yeah, anything. Yeah, before we were knit together in our mother's womb. I knew you. Yes. Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? I guess our, our takeaway today as we wrap up is if the founding fathers— counted prayer this important yeah yeah why shouldn't we absolutely now the question is how do we right do we start simple i know you know on rise fm angie starts the morning show with prayer Mm -hmm. and and if she may actually do a couple of different times where she prays in the morning show we have things um from time to pray little snippets of of why we should be praying and the importance of it. Uh, you will hear things from the presidential prayer team, and they actually uh, have a time of a short prayer for 
government officials. Mm-hmm. And they've done that through multiple administrations. Boy, some of them really need it. Yeah. <laughs> you have the National Day of Prayer that we talk about mm-hmm. and we participate in. Right. How can we encourage our kids? Let's cycle it back to we started with prayer in school and the challenges that our kids face. You know, how can we encourage our children right. to pray in school? That becomes a really important question. And part of that ends up in the whole parenting uh, picture, too, the decision-making process of when we allow them to be influenced by outside of the family influences, TikTok, Instagram, so, Facebook, yeah. and all yeah, all, all those, those social medias that can be so de- so devastating. I got an alert on my phone the other day from one of them, and it was somebody I knew. And then I clicked on it, and I saw what was in that. And I'm thinking, is it possible to get rid of this on my phone? I, I, I really wanted to. Right. But my point is that when we talk about the impressionable ages uh, of our children— there's statistically, I think in research, a, a window of opportunity for our children to come to know the Lord in a very, very real and powerful way. I want to say it's somewhere in the neighborhood of like ages maybe 7 to 12, somewhere in there. Is the, And after you pass that window, the probabilities start to go down. Well, for one, they start to hit teen life. And remember, it's not as much peer pressure as it is peer priority. What is their peer's priority and that's what they tend to follow mom and dad can teach so i really think it has a lot to do with what kind of environment and what decision making are we doing that gets us started so what do we do about the children who have already been exposed to social media and they're thinking their peers are part of it and i'm not going to be able to socialize with them i'm not going to have the relationship it gets a little more dicey then but still i think those authorities out there would say there has to be victory there somehow that we sh- we teach our young people. As I said at the outset of our time together today, there's a lot more that Tom and I have to say about this topic that we don't have time for or that, very honestly, our opinions were of a political nature and very strong and would not be proper for a non-commercial radio station like Rise FM to air. So... I have taken that full version with all of our comments, and it's a longer version of the session. It is posted as a bonus session on the podcast network at risefmohio.com, and you can check that out there along with archives of past episodes as well. But in the meantime, Tom, if someone wants to sit down and have a conversation maybe about starting returning their family to a base of prayer, and then encouraging their kids to maybe be more active at praying in school and making use of their constitutional rights. How can they start a conversation with you? Well, I can be reached at heritagechristiancounselingministries.com. 